Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Went to the doctor. I said to her, look, I've been off work for a couple of days. I'd really like to be signed off because I'm really tired. And she turned her chair around like a swivel chair like this and looked at me. And she said to me, um, Charmaine, how are you? How are you? You have to think then. When somebody says it to you with sincerity, you have to start thinking. And I goes to her, I don't know how I feel. Even now I feel like I'm going to cry. Joey you know, goes, I don't, I don't know how I feel. This week's Mad World features my favourite kind of guest, the unsung hero, or heroine in this case, making a difference in our communities. Charmaine Bino is a housing officer at Southwark Council, who you may have seen in the Channel 4 TV series Council House Britain. The work she does in helping vulnerable people is vitally important, but often overlooked. Now she's written a book, The Estate, which lays bare the challenges so many are facing because of the UK's housing crisis. And I'm delighted to have her as a guest on this week's Mad World. Charmaine, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. And the first question I'm going to ask you is the first question I ask everyone. How are you really? How am I feeling at this precise moment? Nervous, I think. I think that's what I could say. Yeah, I'm nervous. But I don't really know whether I'm nervous because I'm here or because for the fact that I was scared that I was going to be late. If I know I'm going to be anywhere important, I need to have a good space of time before I meet those people. And I'm there looking on my Uber things, saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, the time. And that's when I started feeling nervous. So I've still come in with that little bit of nerves. And I wasn't like that this morning. Okay. But other than that, I think I'm fine. I'm, I'm calm. Having read the book, I suspect calmness is very much a quality that is needed in the job that you do. Definitely. Adaptability. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, you know, being able to, well, I think the word that like corporate assholes use is pivot. The oh, word. God, yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, you really are at the 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 forefront of you see I mean this is a mental health podcast yeah and you really see the it's not just the effects of the housing crisis you're really at the forefront of seeing the effects of the mental health crisis in this country definitely definitely because we're the first port of call I mean no how can I put this when I first started the job as a housing officer I realized a lot of people didn't even know we existed it's only that like our residents knew because they have to have direct contact with us. And then when you actually start doing the job, you start realising how important you are to all the other services. We're like the, the mediators, we're the in-betweeners because we've got the avenue to get in there. I mean, a lot of the times we do see a lot of things that go on. And as much as we see those things, people tend to forget that we're human as well. Mm. So, I mean, we're not robots so I've seen a lot of things and I've had to assist with a lot of things that have impacted on me. But then when you're doing the job, you've got to be like a doctor. You've got to put it to one side because if you get really emotionally involved in that issue or that circumstance, then you're the one that's going to suffer as well and you're going to be no good to the people that you're trying to help. Do you know what I mean? The book opens with you 
having to go in to to help someone who's clearly quite a difficult person and you uh, fundamentally in a really unsafe environment. I imagine that that's the tip of the iceberg in terms of the, I mean, like the book you, there's a, there's a whole chapter about this thing called cuckooing. Yeah. Can you talk us through that? Because that is mind blowing. Oh, well, cuckooing is just like what the word means, taking over another environment. And what tended to happen, especially when I first started in Suffolk, and that was back in 1999, and there wasn't the term wasn't used then. It's not like now we get more politically correct, less procedures for certain things, so they give them titles. At the time when I first started seeing this, a lot of the times what you'll find is vulnerable people will be targeted by those who want to use their environment, whether to deal drugs, whether to use their drugs in, whether to um, use the place... To, to, I don't know, to house prostitutes or whatever issue that they want. They're not the legal tenant. The majority of the time, they have no connection with the actual tenant. And actually going in and seeing in that environment, especially when I first started, like there's one part in the book where I went in and there were people who'd taken over the, the flat and they were drug users. And I'm asking for this tenant. And there's no backup. At that time, there was no backup for this. We were going in by ourselves and trying to decipher what was going on. And this person, this vulnerable person, was under blankets. And it was only for the fact that he moved. On the floor. On the floor that I knew he was there. You just thought it was a pile of blankets. I just thought it was a pile of blankets. And because I kept calling his name saying, where is he? Where is he to these other people? And then I just from like my peripheral vision, I could see something moving. And then I could see him. And from then, because we didn't have in place at that time any procedures, we had to do everything off the hoof. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And in, that t- in that time, I had to go back, get our community police, because we had proper community policing then, where like, the bobbies were walking around and knew a lot of the people on the estates. We haven't got that now. But it was easy at the time to get hold of my community police officer and go back up there, and he could get those people out. Then at the same time, I could be making arrangements to get this person seen to because I know he's he's being dealt with under uh, mental health, so he's got a CPN, and you take that role and you run with it. But there were, at the time, there was no one you could go to. I mean, now we have um, safeguarding, do you know what I mean, where we can refer them to safeguarding, and then all the other agencies descend and they start taking control of it. At that time, there was nobody. It was just us as housing officers who took the lead for that. And then we found at that time, there were a lot of cookery. And I think I've been, oh, I can't even count really, the amount of cookery situations that I've uncovered and a lot of the housing officers as well. And I think now we're probably seeing a lot more of it now again. At, at one time, it, there was a lull. Do you know what I mean? Because we were on it and I think people were getting frightened that they didn't want to take over people's houses because housing officers can come in there. Mm. And plus, we have a lot of people in the surrounding areas or surroundings of the property or wherever that will give us intelligence. So that helps us as, as well. The community will help. They will come back and they will, they will give us that information. I was going to say, because it's like you could read it as quite a bleak Obviously, because you you are at the like the rough end yeah. of stuff on on estates, but what really came through to me on it was the sense of community because these people, a lot of these people, you only find out about because the good you know the good standing citizens who live around them are getting in touch with the council and going, hmm, mm. something not quite yeah. right here. And then there are people you go and see, and they they've been terrified for yeah. ages, and that. That sense of community that you talk about, it really comes out. Because it's alive and well. Because people tend to think when you're living on estates, it's all about downtrodden people, people who are on drugs, people who like just want to do antisocial behaviour. It's gangs, it's children who, who have no good upbringing. All these derogatory, negative things about estates, I'm really upset about because I got, I was brought up on an estate. You were brought up, I mean, you lived in one room in New Cross mm. with how many siblings? Uh, there was three, my, myself, my two sisters and my mum and dad. But a lot of us grew up like that in the beginning, do you know what I mean? Because it was really hard to get on the, the council list. And at that time, like in the 60s, it was only men who could be the head of a household in a council flat. 
Do you know what I mean? So when my mum was applying, she had to do everything in my dad's name because they wouldn't take her. It's not like now. You can be married, you can apply for a property, get on the application list, and they'll take your name as the tenant and your husband or your partner could just be an authorised occupant. At that time, it wasn't like that. It was just male-orientated. I think the system just believed that the man could be the, the head of the household. But in those times, a lot of the times, the woman was the head of the household, even if she had a partner or a husband. Mm. She was taking the brunt of everything that was going on. And the man was going out to work, bringing back the money. And she had to deal with everything else, like my mum, like my aunts, like a lot of um, my friends' mothers. We were all going through the same thing. They could, in, in the 60s, it was very hard for a person of colour to get a mortgage. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of people would like do a thing that they call a partner. It was just like... I like your own little co-op banking, your own little personal banking to help each other. You'd mm. save the money through there and everybody'd get a turn to get the pot and you could take that and put that as a deposit for a house. Or in some cases, I was told like by my mum and that, that their white friends would apply for the mortgage for them so they could get the mortgage to get a house. It was really difficult. And with us living in the one bedroom, it was a house that belonged to my sister's godmother. So that's how we had to live because it was very hard. But when I was growing up, because I didn't know any different, to me that was life. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I went to my cousin's house, it was the same thing. They might have been really, I mean, successful and had two rooms, <laughs> do you know what I mean, to share. So the kids would have one and the parents would have the other. But it was normality for us. Mm. I didn't realise until we finally moved to Sydney to the estate that my parents still live on that actually you could get a place with more than one bedroom and your own bathroom. And we had two toilets, one in the bathroom, one downstairs. And as children, we were running around excited. And when I look back at it, I think, oh, my God, that was sad. Mm. Thinking where I am now. Do you know what I mean? I've got my own place. My daughter's got her own place. I don't know anybody who lives under those circumstances anymore except for tenants who are, like, in hostels and stuff waiting to be housed. Do you know what I mean? But... At that time, it was. It may seem bleak to people who read it, but it wasn't bleak to us who lived it. And that sense of community you were saying, like we have this very sort of media-driven, I guess, picture of, like you said, antisocial behaviour, drug use, all of that. And of course, that is present, but that's present in any section of society. That's any community. <laughs> yeah, you, you know could, what I mean? You could I'd probably go, I don't know, to Edgeware. I'm sure they've got Edgeway Road. I'm sure they'll have some kind of antisocial behaviour. Well, everywhere. There. Westminster. Everywhere. Uh, but, but yeah, to talk a bit more about that sense of community and what an estate is to you. Oh, my God. When we lived on the estate, I mean, we were the, the last family in on a new estate and we were the only family of colour at that time. And coming from New Cross, I didn't see the differences. We weren't brought up to see the differences. It wasn't until I started school in Sydney that I was told about the differences from other children and mm-hmm. how they, how they um, dealt with me, how they communicated with me. But within my estate, because it was a family estate and practically all the properties had families, there was kids, everything, and we really did get on. Do you know I mean? We had our, our bonfire nights and our parents were out there with all the whatever the rockets and all mm-hmm. that and our mums were making that the jacket potatoes and I, I, I've got to I enjoyed our time there I did people used to knock for us to go and play out if there was an issue like I remember our next door neighbour had a flood from her, her toilet all the water was coming up and because we'd had one like a couple of months before our next door neighbour I remember her name Margaret came running over to my mum Greta Greta please can you help my mum's in there these women are doing... They're not calling no men. Women were doing it. Mm. I don't want to sound like I'm being sexist because I do like <laughs> men. All right? <laughs> but when it was things like that and any, and any issue that was going on in different households, it was the women that were running like next door at each other's houses trying to deal with situations. Or if the kids were being naughty or whatever. It's all the mothers. It, there was an issue like where if I was being rude, my next door neighbour would tell me off. Mm-hmm. wouldn't be a problem. And then she'd go and tell my mum what I did. Now you, oh no, everybody's like politically correct. You can't even talk to somebody else's child. But at the time, it was a thing that was 
It was the norm. Sort of takes a village to raise a child. That's it. I was just about to say that. That's what it was like. We had our own little village. I mean, what used to happen is if somebody came in who was not being pleasant, you'd find the rest of the state would gang up on them and say, no, we're not having it here. Whatever you've brought in, our environment's completely different. Do you know what I mean? So you need to stop that. And then they would temper that down and things would go back to normal. And I saw that through through all the time I was there. I left home when I was, what, 23? Mm -hmm. And it was still a good environment for myself and my um, siblings to to grow up in. We didn't feel scared. There wasn't any issue that we saw. But when you go to the estates I cover and all other housing officers cover, there are different personalities now. Some people really don't care the environment they live in and they don't have the respect for that. And as a housing officer, I try to, I don't know underline it to them whether I have to use the procedures policies or or the law to make them understand I like the sense of community because in those estates as much as there is antisocial behavior there's still a community and that community helps those people who have mental health issues you'd be surprised what people will do and what how they will help and do you know what I mean what lengths they will go to to help their neighbor and even people who are dealing with antisocial behavior and whatever else even they the other residents will try and go and talk to them and try and put things in place for them. It's not all negative. Mm. Do you know I mean, the outside world will look at that, but they don't go deep. They just see the, the, the I don't know, the, I don't know how to put it. They just see what's put in front of them. They don't question past that. And what gets me upset is like when the Council House Britain came on, and I saw some things like on Twitter and that. I don't, I'm really not a fan of all of that stuff. And then the people were saying, oh, this is just another poverty porn. It's not about putting out poverty porn. It's about making you understand that there are other people who are living a different type of life than you are. And it's not that they want to be low paid. It's not that they want to be beholden to a landlord majority of people would love to have their own house, but situation deems it that they can't afford that. Right? So when they do get their place, the majority of people look after their home so well. It's not about it being a council property. It's about, that's my home. So when you're turning around and saying, oh, it's all poverty porn, oh, we're looking at people and they're downtrodden, it upsets those people. They're not downtrodden. Mm. They're human beings who want a good quality of life, who who deserve respect because the majority of them do not commit crimes. They do not do things that are detrimental to anybody else. They're trying to live a normal life and they have their children. Their children do go on to go to university, have amazing jobs, have amazing lives. And a lot of those kids don't want to move out of Suffolk. They will go on the housing list and get a flat or they will try their best to buy a house within the environment they grew up in because that's their support. Do you know what I mean? And it really upsets me when people want to put down estates because there is a community there. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's patronising. It is patronising. How dare you? Because you may have a lovely big house in Belgravia right now, <laughs> okay, that's worth two million, but tomorrow your life may change dramatically mm. and you may have to go to a local authority and ask for help. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. So don't judge before you know where you're going to be in your future. Look at everybody as an equal. Look Mm -hmm. at everybody as a human. No matter what background they come from, no matter what culture they have, they're still human. Do you know what I mean? And when you talk to people, you'll find that actually you can get on with them. Actually, I may be a person of colour. You're a, a, a person who is white. It doesn't mean to say we don't have anything in common. We're both women. Mm-hmm. We both feel. We both love. Do you know what I mean? We both get upset. We both have anxieties. We're both humans. We're both humans. Do you know what I mean? We're not aliens. Even if an alien came down, I'm sure I'd try and talk to them because I try and talk <laughs> to everybody. Do you know what I mean? But as long as I can communicate with you in some fashion, we will have something in common. And I just wish, especially the people who, rule, who like rule certain countries including our own, I wish that they would get that. Stop patronising people because we have put you in a place of power. Mm. 
listen to the people that you serve. And that's what housing officers, that's what local authority officers try and do. We try to listen to you, but please remember we're human. We can only do so much with what we're given. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of people don't, they don't see they that. that. They don't get that. I think that that human element really comes out in the book and your empathy for people. One of the things I found really fascinating was your writing about hoarding. Yeah. Because you sort of say that when you started, it was seen as an issue of like, oh, you know, clean it up. And now there's much more understanding about what hoarding is, which is a mental health condition. Yes. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, when, we, when I first started, like you said, hoarding was just looked at as, oh, this person doesn't know how to clean their house. Oh, they're just collecting a lot of stuff. And initially would go in to try and just clear it all out. But after a while, you'll know that once you clear a hoarder's house, because you haven't addressed the mental health issue, mm-hmm. it will come back. Like I said, we didn't at that time, from 1999 onwards, we didn't have any procedures or we didn't have any psychologists helping. We didn't have anything. So we had to think about this ourselves. So I'd have my holders and I like to talk to people. And everybody who knows me, I talk for England. But I like to talk to people and then you can find out, hidden in their conversation, what may be going on. I mean, I do have a holder... Well, a couple of hoarders were like this. As soon as their children had left home, that's when the hoarding came in. Right. And when you talk to them, you realise they're not needed anymore. There's this hole. So they're looking for something to fill this hole. And they like to buy things. They like to either buy clothes or buy ornaments. So they'll put all their energy into buying stuff that they will never wear. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And as you keep on talking to them, you, you get that sense of, I'm on my own. Mm. Um, nobody needs me. I have nothing else to do. I like going out shopping. I like going up to the West End once once a week because I like seeing other people. I like being the part of something because they've retired from work or whatever other reason they may have. But they're using that, oh, I like to go to the West End once a week and do just to look around. But they mm. come back with three or four bags worth of stuff that they don't need. And then when you're going in to see them, you'll see the bags there. And I can't judge them because whatever they're feeling, that's what's giving them this symptom. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And at the time when we first started, we as, as local authority officers, as housing officers, we saw that through the conversations we were having with them. And then slowly, housing officers and, and the, our line managers and that were starting to look more deeply into it. And then we'd get a lead manager who would take that on and I think that happened in the early 2000s and her name's Lorna, she's brilliant she started getting in psychologists and psychiatrists and counsellors in and we were getting training more because we were saying this is too much for us, how do we deal with this, we're trying our best but what can we do because before they gave us the how to checklist and what to encourage them to do, we started talking amongst ourselves and said alright if we give them little tasks Right, to say, all right, we'll look at that little patch over there in the corners and probably they've got about, I don't know, about 400 books. Let's see if we can, I don't know, give away two books. And that would be really hard when you mm. saw that person and would talk to them, go through it with them. And they would tell you, I've had loads of people who have been hauled to say to me, Charmaine, I can't breathe. You walk in and it's not about you can't breathe because... It's so cluttered with their possessions. They know all this stuff is there. They don't want this stuff there. But it's hard for them to move just one book because that is their security blanket. And I know that's hard for people to understand about being a security blanket because when you go into some of these hooded um, properties, it is dangerous. Mm. Well, I mean, that's that's very clear in the book. A man dies essentially because he gets yeah because he had his books behind his door and I kept trying to get him to even just move them because I said like if there's an emergency how are they going to get in because when I go to visit him I could hear the books being moved from the front Mm. door do you know what I mean now I don't know if part of his psychosis is putting those books there will stop the outside world coming in Mm. Do you know what I mean? You have to look deeper into everything. So you end up being a psychologist. You are, you are you a psychiatrist. I mean? <laughs> I mean, that 
that did come through in the book and it's tough your job and I I'm interested also in like the the the, the other stuff that came through was about the pandemic do, do you talk a bit about that I mean to be fair with South because I'm a union rep as well so I I attend um what we call departmental liaison committees with heads of service and I belong to Unison and when we started hearing about the pandemic we put that to them and Suffolk were on it as soon as it started coming through that protection was needed us in the union went forward and said look we need all this stuff because we're frontline workers we're going out there and they were, they were on it. I've got to be honest. They were on it. We got our protective clothing. We got our hand sanitizers, our masks, everything. Do you know what I mean? But before all of that was happening and the COVID was coming through, and me personally, I thought England should have just locked down everything. They didn't do that. We were going out there. We were in front of all of this. It wasn't until everybody started really getting nervous about it that all of a sudden all our stuff was coming through. So we were left open. And it wasn't just like us at Southwark. It was all local authority officers. Do you know what I mean? Nobody thought, oh, I, we're hearing this, this disease is around. Like, we've got to help our people because our people have got to help our stakeholders who mm. are our residents and they've got to go into these properties. So as a union rep, we made that noise. And Southwark are very receptive with us. And they came back full. That was, that was, that was good. But during the lockdown... As her housing officer, as much as we were working from home, we still had to be out there. Because part of our thing was we had to phone all our vulnerables every day. And I think on my vulnerable list, I, at the time I had about 300. So we had to, and some people had more than me. So basically, even though a lot of our services were like on a lockdown itself, unless it was emergencies, right, so we had more time to do that. But we had to every week go out and do visual audits. So when we're going out, it was like, you know those westerns and you see those little bushes that, that roll in the Tumbleweeds. wind? Tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds, that's it. <laughs> I'd be walking into my estate and I'd see like... Tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds. <laughs> I couldn't hear anybody. You'd hear the odd person shouting, hey, Charmaine. I'm going, yeah, because what are you doing here? You're supposed to be at home. I said, this is my job. I mean, I've got to come out and make sure everything's okay. So I'd have to be going out there looking, checking on everything's okay. But if I can't get hold of the vulnerables that I'm calling, I'd have to go to their house. Or I couldn't go in, but I had to go and knock the door to make sure I'd see them alive, make sure there wasn't an issue that they needed. And then I had to address that. So us, like our estate cleaners and the dustbin men, we were not 24-7s. That just wasn't our job to do. But then walking around and I'd see people like wave to me and I'm looking at them and I'm trying to have conversations with them people, especially people I know that's got mental health issues mm. and I'm talking to them and I'm going oh how are you and they go I'm fine it's not nice being in here and I said I know I said you can come out and get some fresh air because where you are they've got enough areas that they don't have to intermingle with anybody and then I'd get a couple who said I'm too scared to come out now mm. that fright of catching COVID would just take set they just couldn't come out of their house. Do you know what I mean? They would talk to me through the window or they'd call me themselves because sometimes we'd get calls asking us if we were all right. But you'd have to try and mitigate that issue with that person, especially if they got mental health issues, especially if they were elderly and they were, they were on their own. Because my biggest fear was in lockdown, what if I phoned someone today and they I spoke to them today and I phoned them tomorrow and I'd I don't hear them. They could have gone out shopping, mm. okay? Reasonable. But I'm not thinking like that. The other housing officers are not thinking like that. If we can't get hold of their next of kin, their next of kin could have been going out shopping. We can't get hold of anybody. The fear is they're going to die alone in there. Do you know what I mean? It's just that fear of a person by themselves, not sometimes not knowing where they have to go or thinking, oh, I can't phone my housing officer. I don't want to disturb her. And that's what I was getting as well. When I'm phoning people and I'm saying, have you got an issue? And they tell me, oh, well, Charmaine, there's this and that's happened. I said, well, why didn't you call me? Oh, no, because the COVID, because the lockdown, I thought you'd be so busy. I didn't want to disturb you. And I said, but this is my job. You have to disturb mm. me. If you don't, then I'm sitting there worrying about you. I have two elderly 
parents were in their 80s and I was there bringing down their, their shopping and anything they needed practically every other day, calling them to make sure that they were okay. These are my parents. Now I've got to be thinking about other people's parents or people who haven't even got children. And it does impact on you because I don't want to lose anyone. Mm. I don't want to lose my parents because I haven't phoned them or I haven't gone down there. And I don't want to lose a resident who has nobody and who's not answering the, the phone. And that is on our heads all the time. And we can't show other people. Because if I'm showing you that this is getting me down now, I can't help you. Mm. You can't see that from me. It just can't happen. And a lot of us do go through things. I want to, uh, yeah, I want to get on to that first. There was, a, there was something you said just then about, the, at least you know, the beginning of the pandemic, there were two words you said which I thought kind of summed up actually what it feels like the sort of government attitude is towards towards the states and social housing which was you said nobody thought <laughs> and I thought that could be applied as well you did you 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 address really powerfully Grenfell and what happened there even though it wasn't in your council yeah. but you write a lot about the fires that, that that have taken place. Yeah. And it was that nobody thought that cladding a, a tall building in, you know, flammable flammable material yeah. might be an absolute fucking disaster. Nobody thought. That was that's the thing. And that really comes through. But also that episode, you talk, you spoke about fear during the pandemic, but the really visceral fear your stakeholders experienced after Grenfell? I can only go by conversations and the feeling I get, but it was a fact when Grenfell happened and then like we have tower blocks and stuff, everybody started coming back with, well, we've got certain issues in our blocks. It's self-preservation. It's protection. I'd be thinking the same way. I mean, I've never liked a tower block. I know mm -hmm. some of our tenants... They would easily go back, the ones that came out of our tower our, our blocks for whatever reason that we've had to decant them, would love to go back because they love the view. Yeah. Oh, hell no. No, 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 no. I don't want no view. I will see the view standing on the floor my, and the my, ground. My dad lives on the 13th floor oh, of the tower no. block and no. he loves the view. No. Who does that? No, 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 no. I don't even like looking out the window, really, when, the, when I'm in a plane. Yeah, I yeah. don't want to see down. Do you know what I mean? But that's a personal preference for people. And like, like I said before, it's self-preservation. So everybody was, like, on it. Do you know what I mean? And what other feedback I was getting, everybody who was in tower blocks, even people who weren't even in tower blocks but were in, like, four floors. Do you know what I mean? Because that's still away from the ground. They're still looking around to find out, oh... I wonder if anything's going on here. And then you'd get all these calls about repairs and blah, blah. You don't want this and you don't want that. And do you know what I mean? And we'd be on it. We would be on it. I mean, with us now, we have got a, a fire risk assessment team. So even before the Grenfell, Southwark Corona thing about ensuring that all communal areas were clear, that we didn't see any kind of clutter. We'd go into garages to make sure nobody's like storing petrol and because you'd be surprised what people store, do you know what I mean, and oil and stuff like that. We were on it well before Grenfell because we have got tower blocks, do you know what I mean? So that wasn't new for me, right, with more things coming through after Grenfell. But as a human being, my automatic thing is, and plus I'm a health and safety rep for the Unison. Mm. Yeah, so my, my first thought was, you're going to house people who are living, breathing humans in buildings. You've got to ensure that it's health and safety compliant. Why are you putting things on a building that can burn so quickly? Why are you putting people in that danger? Do you know what I mean? I, I, why didn't you think of that? Isn't that mm. the, you're not going to tell, you're not going to put your child near a lit fire, are you? So if you're not going to put your own child near an open fireplace, why are you... Putting other, other people's children. Yeah, other people's children. You're putting other people's children in that area. Fireplace, essentially. Yeah, why are you doing that? You didn't think. Nobody thought. Nobody thought. Do you know what I mean? Who, who okayed this? Mm. It's not okay. I'm sorry, it just isn't okay. 
a lot of our a lot of our blocks were built back in the sixties, back in the fifties. Do you know what I mean? And there were different lot of people managing all of that now, and I do feel sorry for our management that we have now because they have inherited somebody else's issue, and they've got to make good what's been left behind. And yet, it is their job to do. It is our job to do, and our job is to keep people safe in the properties that they're living in. But it can be hard as well because with all the cuts and stuff,、mm. there is no local authority that can sit down there and say, "Oh, we're okay. We got money. We can do it." No. The government needs to give us more money. They need to address the people who don't have the money to go and live in their own houses. You're there to protect us. I was going to get into that.、Um, there is a housing crisis in Southwark alone. You have a waiting list of is it eighteen thousand? Yeah, approximately. It could be more than that.、Now. Yeah, and、uh, you know, you 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 do as you say in your own words, have a rant about that. I wondered, you know, at the moment there's a Tory as we do this conversation leadership. Oh yeah, <laughs> competition. Competition. It、right? is a competition. But, but listen, that is what it feels、mm. like, right? And I was looking at what they've said. The two remaining candidates,、mm. Rishi, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss, what they've said about housing, and and it seems to me that the only things they've really spoken about are how to make houses more energy efficient. But that doesn't really confront. I mean, that is important, obviously,、yeah. but it doesn't confront the the problem of people who can't, you know, even get you know get their own houses at the moment. Who are, you know, I, I think what really comes across, and I think a lot of us take for granted shelter. Yeah, right, and that. The the effects on mental health of not having guaranteed shelter is absolutely huge. It is, but I don't think the government see that. They're looking when they're talking about making homes more efficient. They're probably talking about the new builds.、Mm. Do you know what I mean? And we have to find the land to put them on. Do you know what I mean? So you're getting housing estates that's got a bit of land that you're squeezing another few、um, units in. But I don't think the government. I don't want to get too political. Do you know what I mean? Because that's their avenue. I'm trying to deal with the people that I have now who are in overcrowded situations. Because I don't deal with the housing list per se. I deal with the people that get housed in my property. But I still have people call while who who are in like overcrowded situations trying to get a transfer, and I have to tell them well. There is nothing at the moment. You're just going to have to try and keep bidding. Before they could pick some really nice-looking places. Now you haven't even got that luxury. You have to look at the space you need.、Mm-hmm. And a lot of our, like I said before, a lot of our properties are old. We need the money to restore them, to make them more efficient. We have these diaries of works where we do major works on estates, and as you know, we've got over fifty-five thousand properties. And we have to look at our budget to see if this estate can get major works to do their roofing because this estate's been up there since 1960. Do you know what I mean? And it might not happen this year. It might be on the diary for two years' time when we get that budget money. Do you know what I mean? It's just like stealing from Peter to pay Paul to、mm. try and ensure the properties that we have are up to a standard. But the government, I don't think, are looking at that. We need to deal with the people. Who are living somewhere right now? Once you can maintain those properties, because we sometimes will have voids that are going to cost us a lot of money to do up. Do you know what I mean? To get somebody in there, but some of that money could have been put towards helping building another property. It's, it is really confusing, but we don't get that back from the government. Like I said, we as a population, we were the ones. Who gave them that job? We voted and gave them that job, and we gave them that job based on their manifestos or the things that they promised. And they always promised that they're going to help the vulnerable and the needy and the, the low paid. They always promised that, but those people are still sitting there, vulnerable, low paid, and needy, and there is no assistance. If anything, you're taking more assistance from us.、Mm. And everybody thinks that all、oh, local authorities, you've got money stashed. We have no money. The majority of our money we have is based on the rents that we get back from our residents and our commercial properties to make do what we have. But when you're talking and you're trying to talk to these politicians, 
and this is just me, my opinion, I think a lot of them just go into politics because they want to feel powerful. Mm -hmm. They're not saying, I want to go in there because I want to help you because you're on low income, you're a, a woman that's fleed domestic abuse, you have like three, four children, I mean, you can't go back to work because some of your children are too young that you can't get them into nursery because you haven't got the money to pay for the nursery fees or you haven't got the tick box to get them into a free nursery place. These are the people that need the help. But what you're doing as a, as, as a, a government, you're taking all that help away from them. Sure start, all those things, mm. youth clubs. And then you want to, a lot of people want to blame the parents because the kids are out there in gangs and doing antisocial behaviour. But what have you put back in the community? What have you given to the community to help them? They're not looking for handouts. They're looking for assistance so they can help themselves. Do you know what I mean? It's all right giving people bread, but it's better to give them the grain to make the bread. I think the thing that you do hit on as well is like you talk about Peckhams, and this is then a Peckham could be, you know, it's true of lots of London, mm. is that there's this kind of like the bulldozing of housing estates. The land is then sold off to property developers. And this you see this all over London yes. is fancy oh, property developments I'm so angry about which that. basically lie empty. Yes. For months, for years. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like office blocks as well. Yeah. You'll see the because some people somebody was saying to me, Oh, because you have got empty there's empty office blocks since like um, lockdown. I said, No, it's not happened since COVID. Where have you been? There's there's office blocks, lovely big office blocks all around the city, all around the UK that have been sitting empty for years. That should be illegal. If you're not going to put anybody in there, you're not going to put a business in there, why can't you give it to the local authority and say, you know what, I'll give you my office block, you pay a rent, like a ground rent, right, because... You weren't getting any ground rent before with it sitting there empty. You pay us a ground rent. And instead of you trying to find land, which is going to cost you money to build on, right, a lot of the times it's our land, but then you're going to build, that's going to be a more expense. Why? You can have our office block. You can go in there, redevelop inside because all the running bits and pieces are there and turn them into accommodation. Charmaine, it's simple. Wouldn't I that be good? I don't. I honestly don't know how you like keep your cool, and that's. I mean, that's where oh. I, I want to come to like oh the effect that it has had on your own mental health. Because you write really honestly and openly about the fact that you you had to take four months off work because yeah. of stress. stress, but that like the physical manifestation of that stress was really strong, wasn't it? It was, and I didn't. I didn't realise. I was going through stress. I didn't. Because you don't always recognise it. You think, oh, I'm, I'm... Everybody has a healthy amount of stress. Mm. Do you know what I mean? When you're doing a job and you're trying to get the deadlines and all those kind of things, then afterwards everything peters out and you're cool. But with this job, like I said before, you have your own personal issues, your own uh, problems that you have to deal with. Then you have to come into work and you have to deal with everybody else's problems and everyone like I've got 700 properties so that could equate to anything from 2,000 to 3,000 people because right, you've got to take in consideration the, the children that are living in the family homes or the elderly people who may be living with their families so I have two to 3,000 people I have to be aware of so when they're coming with their problems even though to me their problem might be oh, it's a minimal thing. It's just a, like a non-issue. It can be done in five minutes. To them, it's a stressful situation. It's a, such a major problem. And you've got to learn to calm them down and say, look, I'm going to try my best to get a resolve. Putting all your personal problems to the back of, the he back of your head. And then when you're, you've dealt with their problems and you're, you're leaving work, then there's still problems there. And you're going home trying to deal with your own problems. When it got to that stage... I got to the point where there was nothing in my head and I couldn't describe it to anybody. I say in the book, oh, my area manager came to me, he goes, oh, Charmaine, how are you? Mm. And I looked at him and I said, you know when there's, there's nothing in your head, you can't hold anything? He went, oh, OK. Yeah. And he just wandered off. And I just went back watching all the, really, the computer was watching me and I just sat there. And at that time, I was an income team leader. I had like 500 other officers under me 
And this was about rents at that time. And I was dealing with rents and going to court and trying to help people as well. It's not about evicting people because that's what they think we do. It's about sustaining their tenancies. And that's what we try to do with them. And I was dealing, as soon as they came to me, I'd deal with their problem or whatever query they had. And then I'd just go back to looking at this computer. And they literally, I wasn't thinking. There was no thought. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like in a sort of catatonic state. Yeah. I couldn't even think about why am I feeling like Completely this? numb. Numb. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah completely numb, yeah. Completely numb. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I remember saying, I think maybe I might be tired. So I think the following week I phoned up and I said, I'm not coming in right next couple of days. I'm really tired. Right? And they said, fine. But when it got to about, that was the Monday, when it got back to the Wednesday, I go, you know what, I think I need to get myself signed off because I really am tired. Went to the doctor and I sat down. I said to her, look, I've been off work for a couple of days. I'd really like to be signed off because I'm really tired. And I noticed that she had the pen and the paper, then she put it down and she turned her chair around like a swivel chair like this and looked at me and she said to me, um, Charmaine, how are you? And I looked at her and I was what do you mean, how am I? I said, I'm just tired. She goes, no. How are you? It's like the first thing you said to me. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it makes you want, you have to think then. When somebody says it to you with sincerity, you have to start thinking. I had to start really pushing back this space, trying to get into my brain to say, all right, describe how you feel, Charmaine. How do you feel? Come on, think, think. And I goes, well... I don't know how I feel. Even now I feel like I'm going to cry. Do you know what I mean? I, goes, I, don't, I don't know how I feel. Mm. And all of a sudden, it was like water was just coming out of my eyes. I wasn't weeping. I wasn't like, oh my. It was just water. It's like somebody opened these floodgates and the water, and I'm doing, like wiping my eyes. I'm going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to be crying. She goes, no, 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 no. I goes, oh no, I'll be out of your hair now. I said, because you got because the, the the surgery was full that day. And she goes, no, 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 they can wait. She goes, you're going through something, right? She goes, what's going on with you? So when I'm talking to her, I, it was just coming out, coming out like an overflow. It was just coming out, and then she said, Charmaine, I'm going to sign you off. I goes, oh no, I said, it's just I've got a lot. She goes. Let's let's get this thing straight. She goes, where you are at now emotionally? Because it was, it was also one of my friends had died and I didn't feel anything. I knew I had to be upset and I knew I was upset, but I didn't feel upset. And she goes to me, your emotional part of your system has shut down to save you. I said, save me from what? She goes, a nervous breakdown. She goes, that's where you are. You're on the precipice of a nervous breakdown. That frightened me. So I've never had a nervous breakdown. I mm. don't think, I've heard of people having them, but I've never been witness to any. And she goes, I said, is that why I don't feel anything? She goes, yes. Your emotional state is trying to protect you. And she goes, and if you hadn't come to me or you hadn't started the process of taking time off, she goes, it could have gone really bad. You could have, gone somewhere where it would be difficult for you to come back from mm. that frightened me and I started thinking well because of my job I love my job do you know what I mean I don't like it sometimes when I can't do things for people I'm frustrated and I get really angry but on the whole I love my job and thinking that my job could hurt me was like oh, what can I do so she said to me, well, I'm going to sign you off. You're going to come back to see me every two weeks. And she goes, and I want you to go home and do this. I want you to go home and turn on the telly and just let it watch you. Don't think of anything. Whatever comes to you, you deal with it. I said, well, I had a young daughter. Mm. What am I going to do? She goes, it'll be fine. Deal with what comes in front of you. Don't try to deal with everything in your peripheral vision, don't. And then she arranged for me to get counselling through the, the surgery. And it was a slow process, but I felt so relieved when she said all this and when she put things in place for me so I could hold on to, I can get back. 
because I've got a daughter, she's young, and I don't want her to be privy to, uh, to that kind of information, do you know what I mean? I want her to grow up healthy and happy and understand her own mind, and I don't want her to have to be looking at her mother who looks like she's going off key, do you know what I mean? So I went with the process. Whatever my doctor told me I needed to do, I followed it. I went home, I sat there, I turned on the telly, and I felt relieved it really got to me at one point that after about six weeks, we have this part of our procedure that we have a home visit by HR and our line manager. Not for like for any penalty, just to see that we're OK and if there's anything that they can put in support for us. Because I have to be honest, so that they put things, if you need something, mm. they will do it for you. Right? And I won't knock them for that. But I didn't want anyone to come to my house. So you can go into any kind of neutral place. But I said, well, I'll come back to the office. And I remember... The morning I woke up, that I had to go there, I had this migraine that was just, oh my mm. God, my, I felt like my head was going to explode. And I thought, no, I, I'm not going to put this off. I'm going to go. Got to the office, migraine still pounding. I was there with my union rep. They're going through anything I need for support, blah, blah. The same old process. There's nothing really. The doctor's telling me what to do and da, da. When we finished, I said, all right, I'm going back home. To let the headache. As I walked out of that door, the headache went. It just disappeared. Mm. This overwhelming migraine that could have killed like a six foot man yeah. because my eyes were like this. It went as I walked out of the door. So I had to see my doctor the following week and I told her what happened. And she started laughing. She goes, There's your proof. There's your proof. It's work related. Your migraine came because your, your, your mental state knew you were going back to work. You were going back into that mm. building. So, I don't know, subconsciously, it was just like... Your oh. body reacted. Yeah. That is, I mean, that... Bad, isn't it? That, it's bad, <laughs> but I think it would be incredibly relatable to mm. a lot of people. So, I want to know, kind of bringing it to the present day... Yeah. Charmaine, what do you do to prevent? Because it's hard. It's, it's it's like it's boots on the ground. It's it's really stressful. So how do you look after yourself now? And what would your advice be to anyone out there who's in a really stressful job that perhaps doesn't allow much time for their own self care, and they spend a lot of time looking after other people? Yeah, but they're not expected to in any way look after themselves. Uh, yeah. What would you say? All right. Well, what I do now is. Because, yeah, my job's still stressful. But after years of, I don't know, self-care, I get to the point, if I'm stressed, especially like, let's say, one particular situation may happen and then I, I'm just built up with all this, I will go and find a space and scream. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it might sound a bit mad, yeah? No, we lo- but listen, listen, mate. <laughs> you were on a podcast called Mad World. We... Oh, a safe space for screaming. We can do it now. Oh, my God. You don't want to hear my screaming. Yeah, but my screaming will come out with expletives. A lot of us do it. And that's what I say to people. If you're stressed, first of all, it's a physical build-up. You, you feel that, oh, I'm going to punch somebody. You know when you hear that expression, oh, that manager has done that, I'm going to punch him. No, don't punch him. All that's going to happen is you're going to lose your job. So, <laughs> right, and what I do is put, bring a, a humour into it. I say, go and find a space. Go in the toilets, go anywhere where you, if you don't want anyone to hear you, and you scream at the top of your voice and start cursing. I will scream and curse the person who upset me at that time. So I get the physical part out, yeah? So I've released that bit. And then what I will do, because I work in a team environment, I will ask somebody, look, I really can't deal with this right now. I'm not in a place where I'm thinking properly. Please. Do you think you could assist me with this? Nine times out of ten, if they're not busy, they'll say, all right, Charmaine, we get it. We'll take it. And then once somebody else has taken your problem away, you can then sit there and meditate to yourself and say, all right, I haven't got it. I haven't got it. I haven't got that problem. I haven't got that problem. And you calm yourself down. And then me personally, I'll take a day off the next day Mm -hmm. just to sit and have the television watch me. Do you know what? I love that thing of (laughs) sitting and having the television watch you. Yeah. I think is like such a class bit of life advice that your doctor gave you there. Because I feel like 
I might go home today and have the television watch me. And that's exactly what I do most nights. Yes. But that's, no but idea that's what's going on on it. But your body, your, your, your emotions, your mental state is like saying to you, it's time to you to meditate. I mean, you don't have to be sitting on like... It's time for you to meditate to Stranger Things. That's right. And you'll sit there and let Stranger Things watch you. <laughs> oh, no, I don't want anything in Stranger Things watching me. <laughs> no, but you know oh, what I mean. Now I'm even looking... more stressed, Charmaine. <laughs> no, no, but you could be there looking at this television. You're not even looking at it because you know what? Your mind just goes into numb mode. Yeah. When, when you're stressed at work, you've really got to try your hardest not to bring it home with you because I got to a point when I was coming home my daughter would be running mummy mummy this is what happened at school I said you know what mummy's going into the kitchen now mummy doesn't feel too good she needs to have a fag and a cup of tea <laughs> I mean you have the same approach to parenting that yes! I do <laughs> right and I said if you go in the front room you sit there allow mummy to have 10 minutes with her fag and her cup of tea Right, she'll come out as mummy, but if you talk to mummy now, mummy is more like the Grinch. Yeah, yeah, and she get she got that, and it got to the point where it was a regular thing. I'd come in and she said, "Oh, mummy, are you mummy or the Grinch?" <laughs> I said, "I'm the Grinch." She goes, "All right, mummy, go and have your fag and your ten minutes." It was brilliant. I had her trained. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's it. You go in and you de-stress yourself in the kitchen with your fag. Curse out who you want to curse out because it's not fair for your child to see that stress, to have to have that the outpouring of that, it, yeah, to witness yeah. it. So I'd go in there and de-stress. And that's what I say to people now as well. I give myself a set time when I turn off that computer. Right? If I've said today oh, I'm going to turn off at four, believe me, I'm turning it off at four. Because if I go past that four, then I start getting stressed because... I don't need to be doing work no more. So you keep to your own timetables. Mm-hmm. So if you say, I'm going, no matter what's going on, because nothing's life or death, and if it's life or death, you can deal with it straight away and your adrenaline will come into it and you'll deal with it. But if it's not life or death, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock is the time I'm going off today. I'm going home for my fag, my cup of tea. Yeah, that's it. And to let the telly watch, watch me. me. Sounds like a little rhyme, doesn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Charmaine, I've got one final question for you. Yeah. One final question for you, and I hope that you're going to answer it in the way that I want you to, which is... <laughs> okay. Can you be Prime Minister? Oh, of course I could. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my Lord. Listen, I would put up the taxes on all those big conglomerates. <laughs> those people like, like to take the tax breaks from us. Oh, my God, you're paying money, mate. <laughs> Listen, I'd put a lot of females into power because have you noticed? These men are fearful of the power of a woman because we are carers. Whether you're maternal or not, you still have some kind of caring element within you. And we care about, about our environment. We care about each other. You will find that the women who rule a country, an island, have a more caring way of dealing with things other than the men in power. And I'm sorry, I will stick by that. Men and man-made things never work appropriately. <laughs> well, Charmaine, <laughs> let us hope... That, you are right. Should we get a different female Prime Minister in a month's time? Yes. Charmaine, you are absolutely fantastic. Thank you for coming in. The estate is out now. Go and get it. It's brilliant. So are you. Oh, thank you so much. And so are you. I've enjoyed this. Before you go, please follow Mad World on your podcast app to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you feel like it, leave us a rating and a review. I love to read what you think about the shows and also see your guest suggestions. Mad World is all about helping our listeners and I love hearing from you. The Telegraph also let me loose in column form. So if you'd like to hear even more from me, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash madworld and you can get your first 30 days access to the website completely free. If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in our podcast today, the following organisations offer free and confidential support over the phone. 
The Samaritans can be reached 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116123. Or you can contact the mental health charity Mind for advice on a range of mental health issues. Their phone number is 0300 123 That's 0300 123 They're accessible 9am to 5pm, Monday to Friday, excluding bank holidays. There's also Young Minds who provide support if you're a parent or a carer worried about a child's welfare. They're on 0808 802 5544. That's 0808 802 5544. If you prefer tech support, Shout is a 24-7 UK crisis tech service available for times when people feel they need immediate support. By texting Shout to 85258, you will be put in touch with a trained crisis volunteer who will chat to you via text. And importantly, please remember this. You are not alone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.